Thanks, Chris. Um, question as we get started here this morning. How many of you like to run? Raise your hand. Raise them up high. You like to run. Keep them up. All right. How many of you like to run marathons? Yeah. A couple of... Okay, yeah. I knew Joel and Carol would keep their hands up. They're really kind of, you know... Um, running is, is one of those things that if you think about it, and especially running a marathon... Um, I was trying to keep up with Ian, and so I, I went ahead and ran a marathon as well to try to, you know, stay young like he is. And uh, I'm really glad that I did that, but I have to tell you, no plans to ever run another one. <laughs> it's uh, something I'm glad I did, but I'm glad it's over. Um, at about mile 19, my legs started going numb, and uh, it was just, I had to slow down. It was, it was miserable, I mean, honestly. My, my body started screaming out, stop, Right? And whenever your body starts screaming out to stop, what is the obvious thing that you should do? Well, somehow, most marathoners, and including myself, we miss that point and keep running, right? You have to finish. You have to get through with that thing. And, and a lot of times, I don't, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm reading the scriptures, sometimes I miss that obvious thing that's right there in front of you. Like when you're running and your body's telling you to stop, the obvious thing is to stop. Sometimes in scriptures, when you read it, What's obvious, I just miss. Anybody else like that? Uh, I, I just do that sometimes. I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be a blue Bible relatively close to you. Um, it'll be page 763 in the blue Bible there for you. Um, I want to share with you one of those times that I realized that after having read it several times, I'd missed the obvious. And I'd listened to a, a devotion by Jeff Walling and went back and read the scripture. and was like, wow, it just kind of made sense. Maybe for the first time for me. And I just want to share that with you. And, and it's one of those things that is, talks about what gives us the ability to continue running this marathon of life that we have. How do we keep on running? What gives us the strength? How do we take that next step when everything tells us just to stop? How do we keep going? Well, we have to have the ability to finish. And and to run a marathon. And maybe it's not an actual marathon for you, but maybe for you it's the marathon of a marriage, and you're wondering how you can take that next step. Maybe for you it's the marathon of raising kids. Maybe they're teenagers, and you're just like, what do I do now, right? And you wonder how to take that next step. Or maybe they're just two, right? And you're like, how am I going to get through this? It's a marathon. Life sometimes is a marathon. Life is, is, it's not a sprint, and God has given us this marathon of life to get through, and, and we need to understand that it is a marathon. It's not just a, a quick sprint uh, in our life. It's not even in our relationship with God, a, a quick sprint you know, over to the cross where we you know, confess and we get prayed for and we are obedient in baptism, and then everything's good from that point forward. It just isn't like that. It's a marathon of life, and we have to be willing to take the next step, a daily step in obedience and walking with it. So, so how do we do that? How do we hang in there? In the, in the scripture we're going to read here this morning, we see that, that Jesus is with his disciples and they're, they're having the Last Supper and it's right before he goes to the cross and it's, it's right before he gives his life as a sacrifice for all of us. And I think he catches his disciples by surprise. And I think maybe he drops this bombshell on them. Listen to what he says in verse 33 of John chapter 13. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, imagine what kind of a shock that might have been for the disciples. 
Okay? They've been following Jesus around for three plus years at this point, and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, hey, I'm leaving. Kind of like when if you go to your kids, especially if you have smaller kids, and, and you go to them and say, hey, mom and dad, we're going to go away for the weekend. Or, hey, we're going to go out to dinner. What's the first question they ask you? Can I come? Right? Can I come too? No, no, you're going to stay here. You're going to have fun with grandma and grandpa, right? You know, you're going to stay here. But, but they, want, they want to come, right? Could it be possible that the disciples were feeling this exact same way? Look at verse 33. You cannot come. Would you say that phrase with me? Say it. Ready? You can. Now, say it like you're a parent telling your children, you cannot come. All right? Right? You can't come. You're not coming with me. No. Right? That's what, that's what we're saying here, right? Now, at this moment, I think that maybe the disciples checked out and they were thinking about what we can't go. Why can't we go? We should be able to, right? Kind of like we all do that. And I think they miss verse 34, because in verse 34, Jesus gives one of the greatest commands and the greatest truths in Scripture. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's pretty powerful right there, isn't it? Look at verse 35. It says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says it's not by the badge you wear, it's not by the bumper sticker on your car, the t-shirt you might wear around on you know, casual Friday. The way people are going to know that you are my disciple is by the way you love people, by the way that you love and treat your family, by the way that you love and treat your friends, by the way that you hang in there during those tough times and in that marathon of life. And I kind of, as I read through this, I kind of get the feeling that maybe Peter and the rest of the disciples missed all of that. And you know why I say that? Because look at what Peter says. And Peter's kind of the voice for the disciples, right? They all think before they speak. Not Peter. He just kind of throws it out there. Verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Right? Peter's still stuck on, I am going and you cannot come. And he's like, so where where are you going? You know, Peter wants to know, where are you going that, that we can't come with you, Jesus? And Jesus replied, where I'm going you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. I, I think... Peter and the rest of the disciples, they didn't quite get it yet that Jesus wanted them to to have this ability to run the marathon of life. And he was trying to equip them and to challenge them to do that. Jesus says in the scripture here that, that it's a simple truth that people are going to know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And by the way, we love people when other people say you should quit loving them. By the way that when everyone else has fallen away by the wayside and they're no longer loving, that we continue to love. We will continue to hang in there because we know that we should. We'll continue to keep going forward and remain faithful because that's what God has called us to do. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, the question I ask you, it's, it's a question, question I ask myself when I was running and, and everything around me told me to stop. How do we have the faith and, and how do we get the courage to hang in there and, and to take those next steps, to, to stay true, to stay pure, and to finish strong? How do we do that? Well, I want to suggest a few things. Uh, a few years ago, there was a, an article written in a magazine by a psychologist that said there are three basic things that motivate people to hang in there. It's called Why People Do What They Do. And, and there's three things, and I invite you to follow along on the back of your bulletin and, and write these down and, and see if you agree with these three things. Most people do things because of these three things. First one is this, out of fear. Fear. And that's pretty basic, isn't it? Fear is a pretty basic motivator. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, 
I, I agree that I think that fear is a starting place whenever it comes, comes to this thing. It's, it's a motivator. It's, it's a strong motivator, but I don't think it's the strongest one. But I think it is the first one. And the reason I say that is because uh, whenever you have kids, right, how do we typically begin disciplining them? Fear. Now, some people disagree with that. They're like, no, 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 no. You need to be all loving and gentle and kind and, you know, c- compassionate with your children. And, and as I heard one person say, you know what? Whenever I try that with my children, it doesn't seem to turn their little wagon around, if you know what I mean. I, now, I'm, I'm not advocating being mean or, or, or abusive or anything like that, but if your child is young, let, let's say that your child is about two or three years old, and they decide that there must be something cool in the light or in the outlet, right? And so they wander over to the outlet and they're kind of checking it out, but they can't get in there because you, as a good parent, you put those little plastic protectors in there. And so your child, who is probably the smartest child on the planet, decides to go and find something like, I don't know, a fork, to get that out of there, right? And so they go and they find a fork and they wander back to the outlet and they stick the fork in there and they're trying to get that out. And you walk into the room and you see this happening. What do you do? You yell, no, no, don't do that, right? Well, some people would say, no, you, you shouldn't really treat your child like that. You just need to explain to them what's going on. And say, so, you know, you could try that. You could walk up to your child and go, you know what, hey, honey, no, no, no. I, I want to explain this to you. See, behind that little thing is, is two little prongs. And these two little prongs, they're connected all the way up to PSC&G. And PSC&G is... Is they're pumping electrons at 60 cycles per second, and they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and they get all excited in there. And if you take the fork and you touch that, well, then the electrons in the fork, they're going to get all excited. And those electrons in the fork are going to get excited. They're going to run up into your arm, and your arm's going to get all excited. And the electrons are going to be going back and forth and back and forth. And that's going to go all the way up into your heart. And your heart's going to get all excited until the point that your heart stops beating. It's called arrhythmia. And your heart's going to stop, and the blood's going to stop flowing, which is going to stop flowing blood to your brain, which is going to put you in a coma, which we're going to have to send you to the hospital. And if they don't get it fixed, then you're going to die, and your mom's going to cry. So don't stick your fork in the lights in the outlet. What? No. That, that, that's probably not going to work, right? I mean... Uh, you, you take that with the other side of that, you walk in and see your child and you go, no! And you walk up and, I said no. That's going to get their attention, I think. That's probably going to work. It's a mode of fear. You don't really need your children at two, three years old to be afraid of electricity. You need your children to be afraid of you. Okay? Yeah, some parents are like, that's right. Okay, so, It says in Scripture that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning. Can I can I just brush not brush over this? Can I can I land here for just a second? Fear of things is a motivator, and because of that, hell is a motivator. The fear of hell is a motivator. Now, there's a lot of people that I've run across in my life that that they come to church. And they want to have you know, God as their Savior because they just don't want to go to hell. Hell's a motivator. And it's, they're just motivated to come to church because they think that if I come to church, that's going to keep me out of hell. They're motivated to do these things because they just don't want to go to hell. And it's a good thing to not want to go to hell. But that's just the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We can't just stay in that fear. Because you know if you have kids that are grown or growing that 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 fear of you tends to lessen, doesn't it? There's that 
fear of spanking when they're little is high. That fear, as they get older, not so much, right? They're like, I can take you now. The fear aspect kind of goes away. And it doesn't motivate us like it used to. So there's a second powerful motivator. It is reward. Reward. That's a pretty powerful motivator. When I read that, I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. God knows that He needs to motivate us. And so one of the things that uh, we can do is, is to, to look forward to a, a reward. A reward that, that we could have. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to going to a place where there's not going to be any more sickness or not going to be any more death or pain or cancer or treatments or chemo or surgeries or any of that stuff. You? I'm really looking forward to that. And that's, that's a reward that one of the reasons we press on toward the goal. A place where there will no longer be disabilities. There, there won't be those things that hinder us. And the best we can tell, there will be no more sermons ever. In heaven, right? I mean, that, that's, if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what would. Reward can be very powerful. I, I remember when my dad brought home a 1966 Chevy Impala two-door hardtop with a two-speed power glide transmission, mag wheels. It was chromed out on the engine. It was sweet. And he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tear down the engine, and we're going to build it back up. And if you help, when you turn 16, you can drive it sometime. As a 14-year-old boy, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in, right? That reward was a powerful, powerful motivator. Keep your grades up, get a scholarship, get to go to college. That's a motivator, right? I know some parents that give their kids 10 bucks for every A. I would like for you to adopt me. That would be a fun thing, right? We, we try to reward, and that reward is a powerful motivator. Many of you are going to get up and, and go to work tomorrow based on what? A reward, right? Yeah, you, you need, you want that Reward. If you were to show up at work tomorrow and your boss were to say, hey, we're so glad that you're here. We're just not going to be able to pay you ever again, but we'd like for you to keep coming in, you know, every day doing your job. How many of you would just sign up for that and keep right on going? Exactly, right? We want that reward. We want that because it, it motivates us. The, the truth of the matter is that reward hangs out there and, it, and it's beautiful. Remember that first time you got your first paycheck? You remember that? Remember how big that paycheck seemed? You know, it was like, wow. But how about now? If you were to be getting that same paycheck, what, what's this, right? It shrinks in our mind, doesn't it? The reward that we were so excited about, it shrinks in our mind. And now we have this idea of a little more, yeah, 3 4%, that, that's what I deserve, right? And that reward aspect, it, it shrinks. And can we be honest enough to say that sometimes that heaven even shrinks in our mind? We can get to thinking, oh yeah, God, we deserve that. I come to church. I listen to that guy. I even go to small group. I deserve this. And the reward that was so great and so grand starts to shrink in our mind. And that's why maybe reward is not the powerful, most powerful motivator. There's, there's fear. There's reward. And then there's one more. And you probably already know what it is. It's, it's love. Love, I think, is, is the pow most powerful motivator that there is. And for a Christian... It says in the Scriptures that we have to love God. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We, we say, you know, I've got to love God. You've got to love God. We all have to love God. But the problem is that we're not real consistent in loving God, are we? We're not always consistent in, in loving God the way that we should. It's kind of like uh, your love in human life, right? 
we are not real good at, at loving people in human, you know, day to day, are we? I, I, I love my kids. And I would like to say that I always love my kids. And I always love them, you know, as, as much and as, as the most that I possibly could. But it just really isn't, isn't the case. And parents, you can understand this. There was, there was a night a while back that the five of us, we were together and it was just the five of us and, and we decided to watch a movie and so we popped popcorn and, and we all just kind of, you know, cuddled up there in the living room and watched a movie and had popcorn and just enjoyed it. And I remember about two-thirds of the way through that movie time and just sitting there and everybody was just kind of laughing and enjoying, I was like, you know what, this, this is great. We're all healthy, everything's good, we're all together. I am so blessed to have my family there with me. And I remember just kind of being overwhelmed at that point, of how grateful I was to God and how much I just loved my kids. How much I was glad they were there. And then the movie got over and it was time you know, to get ready to go to bed. And, and so it was at that point that my love for my children changed. <laughs> because it became, do I have to take a shower? Yes, you have to take a shower, right? Oh, I can't get in the bathroom. Well, give Chris a minute. She'll be out in just a minute. I can't find my toothbrush. Look, I'm sure it's in there. Just look again. You probably just overlooked it. Can I have a drink of your water? Can I sleep with you tonight? No! Now, will you just go to bed? Please, just go to... Right? What happened? You know, moments ago, I, I would have you know, given them heaven and earth because I love them so much, and now I won't even give my child a drink of my glass of water. You know? <laughs> my love changes. And the thing about it is, we can all be that way, can't we? We can all treat people that way. Our, our love goes up and down based on kind of what's going on. Uh, and the truth of the matter for me is my love for God is like that too. There are times that I, I, just, I just love God so much and there's, there's these times that, that I just feel really connected to Him, you know, especially after a great song service or when you're reading the Scripture and it just really speaks to you. If you get to go on a, a conference or a convention or a week of camp or CIY and there's one of those things where you're on that mountaintop and if Satan himself were to show up, you just you know, rip his head off with your bare hands because things are so great and you're so much in love with God that nothing can stand in the way. Those are great times, aren't they? And then there's times that that excitement just kind of wanes. You see, whenever we're real excited with God and, and things are going great, it's kind of like that, that camp romance. If you ever went to a week-long of summer camp, you know, you see that girl on the first day of camp and you go, wow, who is that, right? So day two, you figure out how to position yourself next to her during Devo time. And day three, you're hoping that during Devo time they will say, let's hold hands while we pray, right? <laughs> you know, day four, you're picking out names for your future children. Day five comes, camp is over, and it's the parting of, you know, Romeo and Juliet. Oh! She gets in the car and cries all the way home. He gets in the car and goes, my iPod touch, sweet. You know, and he's, <laughs> it's just the way it works, right? It takes off with a spark and things are great and then it just kind of fizzles out. The truth is, we can have that same on again, off again love for God. At least we can if we base it on our love for Him. Because our love can change. But God's love is a powerful motivator. If you look at John chapter 15, verse 9, I think it's something we need to hold on to. It says this, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Remain in my love. Can I, can I tell you how beautiful of a picture this is? Christ is saying to each and every one of us that this is the power you need to run the marathon of your life. Remain in my love. It doesn't mean, hey, follow all the religious rules and make sure that you dot all your I's and cross all your T's and make sure you get it right. 
It's not what it means. Remain in my love, I'm convinced, means that he doesn't want us to forget this truth. That as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I love you. Have you thought about that? Can you accept that? Can you accept the fact that as God loves Jesus, so Jesus loves you? Jesus says, as the Father has loved me. How much has God loved Jesus? How much? Completely? Totally? Unconditionally? Forever and ever and ever? Yes. Is there ever a day that they don't get along? Is there ever a day that they fight? I I don't think so. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They are absolutely unified. They are together in this. And when he says, as the Father loves me, so I have loved you, it is this divine flow of love from God to Jesus, from Jesus to us. And we need to accept that in our life. I meet so many people that just can't accept that. They can't accept the fact that God loves them. They have all kinds of excuses. All kinds of reasons. They don't want to accept, or they can't for some reason accept the fact that God loves them. Can you accept that God loves you? It was uh, 15 years, 3 months, (laughs) and 7 days ago, when Michelle and I were in the hospital in St. Charles, Missouri, because Michelle was going to give birth, and I was nervous. You know, I was doing nothing but standing there, but I was as nervous as I'll get out, right? And Michelle gave birth to Carissa, and I couldn't get her in my hands and arms fast enough. I was so much in love with her, and so thankful, and it was so amazing that, that nothing could be better, and nothing could be sweeter. Parents, can you get that in your mind right now? Can I tell you that's how God feels about you every day, all the time? That amount of love, that amount of of everything is so much how He feels about you. And yet we say, well, God can't love me. Yes, He can. And He wants to. You just have to be willing to open up your life and your heart to Him. I've had people say, well, you know what? That may be true for someone else but not for me, because you don't know what I've done. And I tell him, you're right, I don't. But God does, and you know what? He loves you anyway. And He wants that relationship with you. He says, as I have loved you. God says, as I've loved Jesus, Jesus loves you. He loves us so very much. And and if God would have stopped there, it would have been enough. It would have been enough that we could have that love, but he says he doesn't want us just to, to sit around soaking up that love. He goes on to say, remember what it says there in verse 34? He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. He doesn't stop there. He says, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Now, we've already established, how much does God love you? Yeah. How much do you love other people? Ouch. There are things in the Scriptures I wish we could just kind of write out. This might be one of them. Right? Because I really like the fact that God loves me like that. that that's, that's good. That, that's refreshing. But now I have to love you like that? And you have to love me like that? Yeah, that, that's, that makes it a, a little harder to do. We have to love people around us with the same type of love that God loves for us. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a marathon of life. 
Every single day we're to love the people right around each and every one of us. We're to love them unconditionally and wonderfully in a grace-filled way, the same way that Christ loves us. Think about it this way. Look at the person next to you, and you can just kind of you know, cut your eyes at them if you need to, but just kind of look at them for a second. Even if you're married to them, can I tell you you're supposed to love them the way God loves you? You're supposed to love. We're to love each other. On the good days, on the not-so-good days, on the days when your kids are amazing, the days when your kids are normal, we're just supposed to love them. In fact, turn to the person next to you and just say these words. I love you anyway. Now, it's easy to say, but harder to do, right? (laughs) You know what I mean. There you go. Jesus says, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. By the way, you love one another. By the way, you have that deep, flowing, unconditional love for other people. That's how the world's going to be changed. And that's how people are going to to get it. And that's how people are going to discover and experience this life-changing love if we will truly love other people. We have to love with the love of Christ. And so here's the thing. Tomorrow morning or this week, parents, as you're getting your kids ready for school and they're running late and they're making you late, don't yell at them. (laughs) Take an extra second and remember how much you are loved. And give them just a little bit of extra grace. And this week, whenever you encounter that person that's far more important than you are, just ask them. They'll tell you, right? (laughs) Remember that God has been so loving to you that you have a little extra grace to give to them. When that friend or that relative calls and they are talking and talking and talking and talking, don't do this. Don't go, kids, call my name. Just give them that extra five minutes because God has loved you so much, you can give them just a little, little bit more. And when your friends frustrate you, when your spouse breaks your trust, when a child breaks your heart, when a church member who should know better takes advantage of you, when someone mocks you because of your faith or laughs at you, can you hang in there? Can you not get down? Can you not give up? Can you not quit the marathon? Can you take one more step? Can you take that that next step because of how much God loves you? Because we can if we will accept and know how much God loves us. And it's not easy. And yet, we have to know that that God's going to give us the love and the strength we need to get through it. You see, I, I believe that there are people maybe here today, and people that we encounter all the time that need to know about the love of God in their life. And your marathon is not a marathon of you know, physically running for the next 20 years, but your marathon is to say, you know what, I'm going to start loving people and taking that next step each and every day of my life. And I'm going to run that marathon. Maybe your marathon is to say, you know what, it's time for me to start running the way I'm supposed to. It's time for me to to get it right with Jesus. And maybe you need to to start by not running. You can if you want to, but walking and going over to the cross and starting your marathon of a relationship with Him and and turning your life over to Him for the first time and and being obedient to Him and accepting His love and to to have it poured out in you. Or maybe you started on the marathon and you've gotten off the path and you're just sitting around drinking water and enjoying. And maybe it's time to get back in the game to love people and to share with people and to be the example that that Christ has called you to be. 
What's going to give you the power to go through? Well, there are some motivators out there. Fear. You don't want to go to hell, right? Reward. I think we all want to get to heaven. But what's going to give you the strength and power to get through? I think it's the love of Christ. And if you've yet to receive that, we want you to receive that. God made a way for us to do that. Scripture says, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And that is an unbelievable demonstration of His amazing love for us. So this morning, do you need to receive His love? The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in an invitation song. And the song is Mighty to Save. You realize that God is mighty to save you? He loves you so much that He made a way to save you. He wants that relationship with you. He wants to walk with you each and every day of your life. He wants you to run to Him and turn your life over to Him and be His child from now through all eternity. And He gave us His love to motivate us to do that. Would you respond to His love this morning? We invite you to. Would you stand with me? If you want to talk to someone, if you want to turn your life over to Christ, whatever you will do, you make your way over to the cross. I want you there.